I'm going to be concluding our Easter series where we had several sermons leading up to Easter, and this is post-Easter, obviously. So we did one on the upper room, Disciples with Jesus. We did one on the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened there, the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the restoration of Peter. Again, if you missed any of those and you'd like to hear them, go on our website and they can be downloaded. So today, I'm concluding our series, and I'm calling this Ordinary People changed by Jesus to change the world. Let's look at the text, which is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. I'm going to read a few verses where Jesus is about to commission his disciples. It's post-resurrection. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's told them to meet him on this mountain. And uh, Matthew writes this, chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." One, if you can imagine for a moment being sent to a faraway country where the climate is very different to the one you're used to. It's a superstitious world that you're about to enter where many gods are worshipped. The journey there is going to be dangerous because it's in a remote location. The conditions are pretty primitive as well. There's no hot or cold running water in the house, no double glazing, no internet access. No Sky TV, can you believe it? Toilets are primitive affairs. There's no Tesco Express down the road. And the transport system is primitive. The government is pretty corrupt. In addition to that, as if all those things were not difficult enough, you don't speak the language. And you may well be persecuted when you get there. Well, that faraway place is Britain. But it's not Britain today. It's Britain as it would have been when the first missionaries came to this country. Well, now we're not exactly sure when they did come. Perhaps they came as part of the Roman invasion. We don't know. But certainly by AD 200, there were Christians here beginning to spread the message. And it's helped shape us as a nation. I read this recently. I'm in no doubt about the matter. The values of the Christian faith are the values on which our nation was built. In addition, I also read this. The Christian message is the bedrock of a good society. As you can see, it was a message given by David Cameron over Easter. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? However, according to the Commission on Religion and Belief in British Public Life, and they spent two years to formulate their report, which they published last year in December, they said uh, only two in five British people now identify as Christian in Britain. And I guess out of those two in five, uh, some of them may well be nominal. And one of the commission's recommendations was this. The legal requirement for schools to hold acts of collective worship should be repealed and replaced by a requirement to hold inclusive times for reflection. As an ex-teacher, I've been involved in some of these inclusive times of reflection, and I have to tell you, they're pretty dire, bland affairs. I can see there are teachers here who are agreeing with me. 
Um, according to research by YouGov for the Bible Society recently, one in three children in this country aged 8 to 15 have no idea why Christians mark Good Friday. One in four do not know why Christians celebrate Easter Sunday. About one in three adults don't believe in a God, let alone the God of the Bible. Interestingly enough, uh, among younger Britons in the 18 to 24 year age group, one in four only believe in a God of some kind. So that's part of the state of our nation. There are pockets of encouragement, I would agree, but there's still a lot to do. Would you agree? I think there is. The big question is still the same one that keeps coming back to me, and I think it needs to keep coming back to our nation. Who do the crowd say I am, Jesus asked. And then he said, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? You know, if you get that answer right, then you're going to be well on the way on your journey of faith. So here we see in Jesus' words, so what I'm saying there is there's a lot of work to be done in our nation. And Jesus' words to the disciples are very powerful and very stretching for them. And they are, as I said, ordinary people. We see that in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Think about it for a moment. Some of the things that the disciples had seen that I've never seen in my lifetime. The dead being raised. Jesus walking on the water. Jesus feeding more than 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. People being released from all sorts of conditions. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus had specially selected these guys. Here Matthew tells us that there was, a, there was a mixed reaction to what was going on. Think about it again. Peter had not long denied Jesus, and Stuart spoke about that last week. And he denied Jesus with curses upon himself before the crucifixion. All the disciples had deserted Jesus. They'd fled. Now, we often see these guys in, in religious paintings with halos above their heads and starry-eyed gazes as they gaze in wonder. But they were ordinary people, some uneducated, fishermen, a tax collector among them. So maybe he was good at maths. Perhaps he was a whiz kid at maths. I don't know. But if he was, he was still not very well regarded in his society. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Why did they doubt, I wonder? Well, I guess the doubters had a job to catch up with what was going on. I expect their heads were spinning with everything that had been going on. The things that they'd seen Jesus do, and then the, the trial, the arrest, the trial, the, the beating of Jesus, the crucifixion, the, the barbarity of it all. And then suddenly the women come and say, we've seen the Lord. He's, he's risen, and then Jesus appears. And uh, it must have been astounding for them. It must have been incredible. And then in addition to that, here Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. It must have blown their minds. Not just a few days ago, they were on the run, hiding from the authorities. But Jesus' words were active for them, and they're active for us today. They're still as relevant today as there was when they first heard them. I expect they looked at themselves and thought, how on earth are we going to do this? Go and make disciples of all nations. We're hiding from the authorities. What are we going to do? 
And I think sometimes we can look at ourselves as well and think, you know, the Great Commission, and look at ourselves and we can sigh and we can think, how on earth am I going to be able to do this? Interestingly enough, in his devotional book on Matthew's Gospel, Fillmore wrote, writes, evangelism is not difficult, it's impossible. And our success relies not on our power, but on his. And we heard that this morning in the prophetic word that Pauline gave. And I had to say, I was standing there saying, amen. We need the power of the Spirit. When Jesus gave these words to the disciples on that mountain, go and make disciples of all nations, he was asking them to do what was actually for them alone totally impossible. And the same is true for you and me. Go and make disciples. How can we do that? Well, we need to be changed by Jesus. The disciples were fearful, and they needed to be changed by Jesus. And so do we. How did he do this? And how does he make it possible for us to do the go and make disciples of all nations bit? Well, there's a big clue in verse 18 and 19. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we sing a song, which I like. And um, it's, some of the words are about leaving the Holy Spirit. Leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. Oh, thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son. Leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. It's a good song, that. I like that song. But I kind of slightly have a little hiccup over one of the words, personally. You may not, but I do. And it's when that we sing, leaving your spirit. I think, actually, if I want to be totally accurate, Jesus didn't leave his spirit. He sent his spirit. He promised to send the Holy Spirit. And how are the disciples going to be changed? How are we going to be changed? Pauline mentioned it this morning. It's going to be the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we see it after the resurrection. We see it after Jesus ascends to heaven. When he says, wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the disciples are in the upper room. And remember fearful, timid Peter, who even before a lowly servant girl in the darkness of a fire was unable to say to her, yes, I was with Jesus. And yet on the day of Pentecost, when the power of the Spirit comes, who is at the very heart of the proclamation of the gospel? It's, of course, Peter himself. So what's happened to him? What has happened that has transformed this meek and timid man to become someone who is in the end going to give their life for Christ and be crucified himself? It's the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that Peter's on a journey, and you and I are on a journey as well. We're on a journey of being changed. Peter's on a journey of being changed too. Because later on we see him, he's on the rooftop, and the Lord gives him a vision of different creatures in a, in a blanket coming down from heaven. And it's to do with the fact that the gospel has to go to the Gentiles. And Peter has to overcome some prejudices there. So Peter is being changed by the power and the presence of the Spirit. And boy, does he do it powerfully on the day of Pentecost. He doesn't mince his words even. He says, you to the people with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So he really goes for the jugular in one sense. But the point is this, it's the Holy Spirit 
who makes the difference. We need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus said, you must be born again. You know, I, I always find it funny when people say, I'm a born again Christian. Or, or they are born again Christians, as if there are any other kind. You know, you must be born again, Jesus said. You must be born again by the Holy Spirit. And then you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You must be transformed by the Holy Spirit. How often must that happen? Once a year, every time there's a call to come out and get prayed for. Now and again. Do you know, I read, uh, my wife showed me, Joy showed me the other day. You've heard of the expression, of course, once in a blue moon. Should you be filled with the Spirit once in a blue moon? Well, I heard of something I'd never heard of before. Once in a green moon. Apparently, later this month, there's going to be a green moon. Did you know that? And a green moon only happens every 420 years. So if you want to be prayed for once in a green moon, you may have to wait a long time. But the point is this. <laughs> you know, we need to be people who are be-being, Paul writes, be-being filled with the Holy Spirit. Every opportunity that we get, be-being filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, in Pauline's prophecy this morning, it was very interesting. One of the things she said was about the, the words of truth that we sing. Now, that song that Rich did this morning, one of them anyway, I have to say, is one of my favorites. Uh, the Godhead three in one. Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb. Do you know, I never get tired of singing that song. I never get tired of singing it. The Lion and the Lamb. If I just sang that, the Lion and the Lamb, it says so much in, in, in a few words. You know, it's an opportunity, again, to be filled, to be re-energized by the Holy Spirit. We should be taking every opportunity. So in a time of worship, for example, let's not be passive. Let's be people who, who come to the well, who drink, who are open. So I want to be open, Jesus. I've had a terrible week. A dreadful things have happened. But I want to be open to your spirit. I want to be transformed. I want to be changed. And more importantly than that, I need to be. Hello? I need to be changed. I know it, and I want to be. And I know it's a long and difficult journey at times. The Holy Spirit, the point is, makes the difference. We want to be a people who are empowered and changed by Jesus. Amen? You know, I was encouraged to hear from someone who had become a Christian recently when he told me that one of the things that impressed him, and he's come out of a, a Hindu background, so no Christian background at all. And uh, he said one of the things that impressed him was the fact that he saw a love in others that he had not seen anywhere else. You know, this church here started empowered by the Holy Spirit, revealing the love of God to friends and neighbors. If you talk to people who were here at the beginning, at the genesis of this little church, which has grown since then, one of the things that you will often hear is the love of God. It was the love. It was the love. It was the love that attracted me. Where does that love come from? God is love. Comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The love of God is poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say, go and make spectators. See, one of the things that uh, no, I better not jump ahead. <laughs> he says, go and make spectators. It's not a case of watching the professionals, those who are paid to do it 
and we can come and we can spectate and we can enjoy the show. That's not what it's about. Every, every single member of this church is as vital as anyone else. You know, if I lose my big toe, I will notice it. Why will I notice it? I will notice it because I won't be able to walk properly. If I lose my thumb, I will notice it. Why? Because I won't be able to open the jar. Because there will be no thumb to do it. Perhaps you're a thumb. Perhaps you're a big toe. I don't know. But whatever you are in the body of Christ, you're absolutely necessary. Go and make disciples, Jesus said. Go and make people who are going to follow me. Go and make people who are going to serve me. Go and make people who are going to worship me. Go and make people who are going to enjoy the fellowship of being with God's people. Not hokey-cokey Christians who are in, out, in, out, shake it all about. No, go and make disciples. Not go and make hokey-cokey Christians. You know, and people who are taught the truths of the gospel and able to reach out to others. You have a story to tell. Did you know that? You have a story to tell. And actually, our story is not always a happy story in one sense. Your story might be a sad story. But actually, the story that you have to tell is, how did you find Christ in the midst of your sad story? How was the reality of your faith earthed in the midst of your sad story? That's a story you can tell others. So it's not all about singing from the top of the mountain. It can be how you went through the valley of the shadow of death and the valley of darkness. How did you go through that? How did you find Christ in the midst of that? That's a story worth telling. We need to be changed by Jesus. We're ordinary people. Changed by Jesus. Why? To change the world. The Lord is looking for us to reach out to others, whether it's near or far. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm not actually on mission. I'm not on mission because I'm not in Afghanistan or I'm not in a remote location somewhere in in the Middle East. Or I've come back from mission, in fact. You know, I was in mission, but I've now come back. As if somehow there's, no, no, no. You're on mission. You're called to be on mission. You may live in High Wycombe. You may live in Loudwater. You may live in West Wycombe. You may live in Marlow. You may live in Hazelmere. Whatever it may be in the locality, Princess Risborough, Aylesborough, I don't know. You know, we're called to be on mission, to reach out to others. So whether you go to the remote mountains in Afghanistan or Pakistan, or whether you're on the hills of High Wycombe, there's still a cost. There's a cost to proclaiming the gospel. There's a cost to reaching out to others. There's been a cost for us to now have another site in Hazelmere. There's a cost to it. And I think we need to recognize that. I miss family and friends. I've got none of my family here today. Oh, you might think, well, that's nothing. Well, it might be nothing to you, but it's something to me. I have had to move my seat, for example. (laughs) Otherwise, there'd be an empty row. My eldest son, Andy, he is doing youth work up in Hazelmere today. So he's up there with his wife. Joy goes there, so she's there. Steve and uh, Sefi, my other son and his wife, they, they've decided to join the Hazelmere site. So who am I going to hold hands with? Who am I going to whisper things to during the meeting? Small cost, but yeah, I think we need to recognize that. Now, more, perhaps more significant than that is, and I want to show you a video in a moment. You may not be aware, but most of you will be, that the church started in Hazelmere, and Frank, who's 
life we were, Neil was sharing about earlier, and not just life but death, led the church at that time that the church started in Hazelmere. And during that time, it was decided that we would plant a work in High Wycombe. We didn't quite know how it was all going to turn out, what we're going to do. We're kind of fumbling around a bit more in those days. I think some, sometimes it's a bit clearer today. But in those days, it was just, we just feel, Frank felt in particular, we need to get out of the coziness of Hazelmere and we need to come down into the center of High Wycombe. And this had implications for certain people specifically in the church. And one of them was Sandra and Alec. And we're going to hear something of Sandra's story. And thank you for sharing that, Sandra. Sandra, you used to live in Hazelmere. How did it come about that you moved to the town centre here in High Wycombe? Well, in 1981, January 1981, Frank, during a meeting, uh, said that he felt that as a church we should um, start a plant in the centre of High Wycombe. And he asked us all to search our hearts and to seek God to find out if we should be part of that plant. So during the meeting, I did that. And felt God was saying that, yes, we should go to High Wycombe. And I was absolutely horrified. I felt sick. Um, I didn't want to go. So I did battle with God all the way through that meeting. And um, battling with God is a horrible thing to do. Um, uh, But by the end of the meeting, God had my yes. And I was ready to go to High Wycombe. And then um, talking to Alec afterwards... Um, Annika felt the same calling, so we thought, that's it, we'll go to Wickham. However, to my delight and surprise, nothing happened. And so we decided we'd just get on with life. We did renovations to our house, and um, we carried on with that. It was almost completed um, when, once again, we heard that call. We had to go to High Wickham, and this time it was serious. I didn't give in very graciously. I still didn't want to go. Um, So there had been a house on the market for two years, um, just opposite us in our our road. And I said to Alec, OK, if our house hasn't sold within six months, we've heard wrongly, we didn't hear God that we had to move and we can stay here. Uh, However, uh, we did put our house on the market one Sunday in March and... By the Thursday, it was sold. We were on our way to Wickham. Why did you feel sick at the thought of moving? We were very happy where we were. Um, The church was a lovely place to be in, a lovely body of people. Um, We all loved one another. Uh, Our families were of the same age. Our children had grown up together. We were just close. After you moved, what were the first few months like? Well, having a new house was very exciting, and the people in High Wycombe were really lovely. Um, but it was costly. We missed people. We missed seeing friends every day, being able to pop in for coffee. Um, and the children um, were f- affected, of course, because they missed their friends. Paul, particularly, taking them into school and picking them up, standing at the school gate. That was horrible found that very difficult um no friends there I didn't know anybody um I felt very isolated I felt very lonely what about now now that some of the people have gone back to Hazelmere what has that been like for you 
For me, once again, that's felt very costly. Um, when we moved down here, I missed everybody. And um, when I heard about everybody going back up to Hazelmere, I thought, oh, no, not again, Lord. Um, it was so lovely when everybody from Hazelmere came down to join us in High Wycombe to worship here. Um, and now they're going back again. And I'll miss them. Um, and I did get very upset. But I realised after a bit that that was a little bit silly. Um, I will be able to see friends again. Um, I may not be able to give them a, a hug and a quick hello on a Sunday morning, but with a bit of organisation, we can, we can meet up. Moving was costly at the time, but looking back, how do you see things now? Yes, it was costly, but we've been incredibly blessed as a church. We've been incredibly blessed as a family. I'm excited about what's happening in High Wycombe and what's happening in Hazelmere, and I'm looking forward to the future. Thank you very much, Sandra and Alec, and uh, for sharing some of your story, very precious and very real. You know, we may not be called to foreign lands, some of us may be, but we are called to mission. And I wonder, I want to ask this question, are the people who live near you or those you work with perhaps there for a reason? You know, fulfilling Jesus' command isn't always easy. There is a cost. However, the Lord is no man's debtor. You know, if we ever sacrifice anything for the sake of the kingdom, then we will be blessed. And Jesus says that, doesn't he? He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And what uh, Sandra didn't say was that in her own family, she's seen her two children, now adults, thoroughly blessed. Her son Paul works full-time for King's Church Amersham and her daughter, their daughter, Nicola, works uh, in the slums of, or slums of Kampala, started a work there to help the poor in Uganda. Who knows... Who knows, anyway, the outcome of our obedience to the command of Jesus to reach others with the good news. You know, people will come to know Jesus. That's what we want to see, isn't it? And everyone has got their part to play, however small it may be, however insignificant you may feel that you are, you have an important role to play here in the town center site in High Wycombe. And as you fulfill the destiny that God has for you in reaching out to others, then who knows the outcome of that work that you do. It will be near and both far. Jesus took time to be with people. I know we can be very busy, but there were times when he stopped and he met the individual and he took time to listen and he engaged with them. Only this morning I was reading the story of the woman who had been bound by Satan for 18 years when Jesus was in the synagogue and he reached out to her and he took time when he was touched, when the hem of his garment was touched by the woman, he stopped in the midst of the busyness of life and he spoke with her and he took time with her. The blind man who cried out to him by the roadside, Jesus stopped and invited him. The little girl who had died, he went into the family and spent time with them. Jesus found time to build bridges in people's lives, time to value others. I wonder for a moment if you could just consider who the Lord has brought into your life, perhaps at work, 
Perhaps it's a member of your family. Who's the Lord brought into your work who doesn't, into your world, who does not yet know the Lord? Perhaps it's a neighbor. Neil mentioned we've got the big objections coming out. One of the big objections may be an opportunity to invite someone. Perhaps you've already had a conversation. Perhaps you feel there's maybe a stirring of the spirit there. Or perhaps it's Alpha. Perhaps you've had some good conversations with someone already and maybe for them it might be the next step and perhaps you need to get some courage up and take a card and say to that person, would you be interested in? I know Joy and I have done this a few times with some friends and so far they said no. However, does that mean we're going to give up? No, let's persevere. Who knows what the Lord may do? There may be turning points in people's lives that we don't know about. There may be things going on underneath the surface that we don't quite know about. There may be other connections that they're having with other Christians that we don't know about. And it could be just that tipping point, just that little thing. We could just be one connection on the chain of events that brings someone to Christ. It may be that we say, why don't you do Alpha? And they don't do it here. Maybe they do it somewhere else. We don't know. But we just know that the Lord, are we here by chance or are we here by divine appointment? What has brought you to live here at this time in your life? Is it chance or is God involved? And if God is involved, is he possibly involved as well in the, other, in the lives of the people that you and I know? I ask myself that question. Do I need to have a little bit of courage? Yes, I do. Where am I going to get that courage from? I'm going to get it from the Holy Spirit. And to get that boldness from the Holy Spirit. So we need to be filled. We need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Do you think it would be good to just pray for that just now? What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to consider for a moment, first of all, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand if you think, I, yeah, I could do with some refreshing here. It's been a difficult week or or I just feel I've drifted a little, whatever the reason may be. You know, the reason I'm asking us to stand is this. It's a, it's a, it's a bit more of a serious indication. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front. I'm just going to ask you to stand. Right? I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. Maybe I've drifted. Maybe I just, I just want to be energized again. I haven't drifted, but I just want a top up or a refill. Just stand if that applies to you, any of that. If it makes any sense, which I hope it does. I'm not even looking because it's between you and God. And let's, um, again, if, if you want to, just hold out your hands in a kind of receiving mode. And I just want to pray right now in Jesus' name for you. Father, our Father, you said, ask, seek, and knock. You said if, if a son asks his father for bread, will he give him a stone? It's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. You know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask you. So we pray right now. We pray, Father, with open arms, with open hearts. We ask, Father, that we would be filled again with the Holy Spirit. I pray in the mighty name of our Savior and your Son, Jesus Christ, I come and I come boldly to the throne of grace based on what Christ has done, not based on who I am, not based on what I've done, not based on what we've done, but based on what your beloved Son has done. You look at the blood and you say, 
well done, son, for what you've done. Well done. And Father, I pray that you will send the Holy Spirit again and again and again. I pray for every single person who's standing right now that the Holy Spirit will come upon them afresh, Lord, that they will know a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, even today, Lord. And I pray that the joy of the Lord may be their strength. And I pray, Father, that you will give them a holy boldness to reach out to their friends, to reach out to their neighbors, to reach out to their family, to reach out to their colleagues, so that the kingdom may come here in this place, and that we have to start worrying about a third site, and that we have to start having economy seating in here again, and not business class. Now pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. You call out now yourself and say, come Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Hallelujah. Come Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh yes. Now, I just want to say now, expect, expect to be filled. Expect now the Holy Spirit to touch you. Expect now to be open. Expect now as the band come back up. Is it? It's not band, is it? Oh, it's Neil. All right. As Neil comes back up and the band comes up in the second half, I've lost track of what's going on at the moment. Expect now to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not about, it's not about Things are going well in my life. You can have an absolutely terrible week, but you can still be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. 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 Bless you.